Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Backtracking, the podcast where we look back at the real-world inspirations behind classic episodes of Star Trek. I'm one of your hosts, Caliban, and I need full speed, 20 degrees down to the dive planes. Brace for impact. I give you an order, mister. And I'm joined on this episode by my co-host. Hi, I'm Gooey Fame, and I'm longboarding down an Icelandic highway. <laughs> I'm being chased by lions uh, who, who have lasers on their heads. Yes. Uh, and we have returned to explore the inspirations behind your favorite episodes of Star Trek. And um, interesting, interesting case this week. We've got an episode which has become a classic favorite of Voyager fans and a movie inspired by a 1939 short story and the long ass road it took to reach the screen. That's what we're talking about today. <laughs> It's a fascinating I, story. Really, I, I didn't. I don't even I, know what this is. So I guess. Well, that'll be a, a tease for Ooh, later. I'm teased. But in the meantime, uh, how you doing? Besides uh, being teased, I'm <laughs> uh, doing doing all right. Yeah, just uh, yeah. yeah, just think. Been thinking about this movie and been like, I can't wait to move on with my life. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to get this show out of the way. How are you? Uh, I feel similarly, and, you know, um, I think I might have spoken before uh, on the show about um, my, my short career, or at least abbreviated, maybe I'll return someday, uh, as a movie reviewer and getting paid to watch films, and whether or not you enjoyed the film, um, you've got a job, and that job is enjoyable. So I see a movie for free, and if I don't like it, that's okay, I can talk about what's wrong with it, like, in the review, and kind of get it out that way. So I don't often see a lot of movies that I don't want to see for yeah. free, quote unquote. I mean, I guess we're doing, we're movie reviewers on this show. We're doing that now, but just feeling that sort of, you know, that chagrined feeling when I have to watch a movie that I told myself, oh, I'm never going to watch that. And here we are. <laughs> I, yeah, I actually remember Your ears seeing... feel hot. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, uh... I remember seeing the trailer and, thinking i will never see this movie <laughs> that was constructed for somebody who is the diametric opposite of me yeah 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 i am with you there for sure i'll, I'll never need to see that whoops you're wrong <sighs> and we'll talk about that in a little bit uh consider yourself completely 100 percent teased uh <laughs> let's talk about trek news a little bit right now um some bad news from the trek sphere uh, the, the news is essentially that uh, Noah Hawley has been told to uh, go home from the, uh, the Trek 4 uh, <laughs> development box or bullpen, what have you. And right. with the, merger, you know, the fairly recent merger of Paramount and CBS and Viacom CBS, uh, they are relooking at how to make the Star Trek franchise profitable. On, so, sorry, on the big screen. <laughs> okay. Big screen. okay. Yeah, because yeah, they've been working on that. Um, oh no, that's doing good. Yeah, but the, uh, why? Why can't these movies work? Yeah, I, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> like every new bit of news is like they got a guy, they don't got a guy. They yep. got a writer, they don't got a writer. Yeah. Um, they essentially tanked. You know, earlier in the year, they tanked uh, their plans for Star Trek Four, which seemed to me like I don't know if it was going to be good or not, but it was a good direction, uh, and I think it broke down over uh, budget talks. So thanks, Thor. Uh, and then, of course, there's been this swirling idea about a Tarantino film, which, I mean, look, uh, you know, he's got a lot going on. We can't really rely on him uh, to to be available to do something. 
And speaking of money, if you can't afford Thor, can you afford Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting question. Like, especially for like, I don't know. Do, what, it seems to me again, like, wouldn't Tarantino be like uh, slumming it a little bit <laughs> by making a Trek movie as opposed to I think like, he, yeah, the next I think Quentin he, Tarantino movie? Right. He yeah, he views his output like like a canon. So I think that even though he said that he's going to retire, I think in it's the math is fungible, but like one or two more films, that might be like a Quentin R Tarantino film, you know, or like a pseudonym film for him. But but I think that it's a fun kind of slumming. You know, he does really like Star Trek and he yeah. would be willing to do it for that reason. But again, he's a guy who's so, I'd imagine, so busy that we just can't sit and wait for Mr. Tarantino to get in this chair and shoot a movie. Yeah, the more I think about, like, just, like, the current state of Star Trek stuff like that, it, like, kind of makes my head spin a little bit. I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like, can it, I just... Just make something. I don't know why everything now. Maybe there's just too much news, you know. Like, and how much can it really cost you to have Noah Hawley just, you know, churning away somewhere on on an idea or a script? I think they feel like more than ever they need to. <laughs> and this is this has been Trek's problem, I think, uh, year after year to nail all four quadrants of this thing. You know, they need a, a PG-13 movie with just enough swears, you know, and just enough photon torpedoes fired, but also satisfies the diehard fans that want to see a moral uh, story or something like that. And my thing is, like, if Noah Hawley wants to do something crazy, just do it. And... You know, get the promotion out there, rely on your diehard fans, rely on people who have a recognition of Trek as a brand, uh, and just make a good movie. Because, you know, the TNG movies, for the most part, suck because you were trying to please everybody, and they're Mm -hmm. all poorly remembered, and they didn't make you any money. So just try to make a really good movie. Was was Star Trek Beyond not, like, a very profitable movie? (laughs) It didn't make as much as the first two, which, you know, looking back are controversial there are people that like them but i think generally they're held to be um not so great but they did make a ton of money it's the transformers thing you know where like Uh the series has made six billion dollars and yet every film is below 30 percent on rotten tomatoes like how is that possible i don't know but all a studio head sees is green and dollars right and so i think beyond was very well received people really enjoyed it and it made you know 20%, 15%, 20% 20%, 15-20% less than the other two, so, well, we gotta stop doing this. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I hate sometimes when I gotta think about, like, um, the things I like, and, like, part of it, it, you have to think about in the context of, like, how much economic growth does it do for whoever's putting it out? Yeah. Like, that's not what I wanna... It's just, like, just make it's a... all about that. Just make a, like, movie, please. The whole but, world is, is about that, so... Yeah. So, yeah, it's mm. it, it's frustrating. Yeah, because uh, like, yeah, I don't know. I just really wanted to see what Noah Noah Hawley would have done with Star Trek. Yeah, I would love to because after Beyond, I feel like it's a bit more simple than like Into Darkness or whatever. So it's like, why not? I don't know. Like, y- you could just make a fun <laughs> adventure space movie again, you know. But if if it's not like, oh, this isn't going to be the biggest thing in the world this isn't gonna like rival uh captain america or whatever there's no point in it it almost feels like to anybody making a movie maybe 
that's always where the Star Trek movies fit. They were like mid-range budget films that were relying on their audience, but also reworking the formula just enough so you got, you know, the, the thrills of Wrath of Khan or, or something like that. Um, but I don't, yeah, they've, they've lost the ability to do that. And Nicholas Meyer, is, he's knocking on their door, but they're not answering. So I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how to help them at this point. They've got three, three things in the pipe and they can't even make a bad movie out of them. So I don't, I don't know what to tell them. They need a, um, they need a Harv Bennett. They need a Kevin Feige. They need somebody, you know, at the, at the reins that says, okay, we're going to go with this. Yeah, just pick just pick one and make it. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, and then you can always just reboot. Like, look at Sony. They went through so much Spider-Man crap, <laughs> so many bad films, and just kept plugging away. Got a little help from, from Disney, but uh, and now they're on top again. So I don't even know what you do with, a, like, what another Star Trek movie would be, <laughs> but... Well, that's another problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just do con again, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> take another swing at it. I mean, we've already, we've seen Spock now three different times. Oh yeah. So why not? Yeah, let's get another Kirk. Let's yeah. just do it again. You got to break the seal. We've only at seen some point. we've only seen two one and a half Picards, maybe if you count Shinzon <laughs> or whatever. So yeah, yeah. Let's get well, another this Picard. A, this was what I, this is what I was saying when they. I don't remember exactly when it was, but either when they um, did Discovery or, or announced Picard, it's uh, none of us want it, but it just the math says the computer tells us we need to do a TNG reboot. You know, that's just what we need to do. And if you want to do it in the future of the Kelvin universe, that's fine. If you want to just recast everybody and say it's season eight or whatever, that's fine, too. But, right. Yeah. We need a new TNG movie, don't we? Yeah, because they're never. I feel like they can never now make a movie that's. I mean, I guess they never have made a Star Trek movie that's not like, come see these characters, you know. But right, I feel like God, it would be so cool. It would never exist. But if again, if they just made a movie that's like, this movie is called Star Trek and it's just a new movie, and it's not like we didn't jump through hoops to like explain how it fits in the timeline. It's just like here's here's a new thing. It doesn't have all the baggage, you know. Well, maybe they need, maybe they do need a, that's why, that's what I thought Noah Hawley was bringing, because maybe they need an, an auteur creator that people will follow. Every single movie, uh, apart from the Batman movies that Christopher Nolan makes, is just a bunch of new characters, right? Like, they're not connected to each other in any way, although you know there will be slow motion things tumbling and there will be some head trippy sort of thing, but it's just, you're coming for a Nolan movie and you're accepting that it's... Robert Pattinson this time or, or whoever and right. yeah if they could just do that with Trek get some guy who's like oh so and so is gonna make a Trek I mean get hey get Christopher Nolan Christopher Nolan Trek yeah interesting he likes time cheap. travel and space <laughs> yeah he loves time travel <laughs> I mean even I guess I was thinking even like a Tarantino thing works for that but I guess he would probably want to do more of a he kind of likes the nostalgia nostalgic things right so it would feel like it would be kind of more steeped in in like remember this stuff you know yeah i don't know (laughs) 
Yeah, it is uh, certainly frustrating, but they'll figure something out. James McAvoy said recently, like, if you want somebody to play young Picard, like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Oh, my gosh. He, and it's, <laughs> he's it's, got a whole career set up for him of playing. Well, it's funny because it's almost, you know, it's like it's a total joke that at any other time you kind of roll your eyes at and go, all right. But I'm like, do it. There, they you've got a star. Yeah. <laughs> you've got a, you know, A minus B plus list star who wants to do it. Build the thing around him. Just get this thing going already. Seems like they got a lot of people who want to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, but uh, Viacom doesn't. They're looking at the, the books and they're like, I don't know. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, speaking of Viacom, CBS and their new Star Trek properties, uh, of course, Strange New Worlds is in development currently. And I've heard, depending on the Rona, um, we might be able to see this maybe late 2021. Uh, they're wrapping up scripts and they're ready to shoot. And just depending on, depending on scheduling and the world working out a certain way, we could get this sooner rather than later. Oh, okay. Um, so we'll see. But uh, recently, Alex Kurtzman, who I think we talked about before, I think his job is just to be interviewed at this point. <laughs> yeah. He was uh, he doubled down on the fact or the idea that Strange New Worlds would be bringing back um, Planet of the Week type stories and the optimism of the TOS era. Okay. Um, I could be into that, but I, 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 I think maybe the problem is it's not like... I, I guess we've talked about that before. Like the the sometimes the issues we have aren't like the type of thing they're trying to do, and just more of how they're going about it. You know how they're executing it. Yeah, like yeah. I I don't mind a Star Trek that's different. I just you know I don't either. And I think when you've got a different bunch of different properties like CBS has, um, just within Star Trek, and maybe they're spreading themselves a little thin, but it's a different conversation. You can, I mean, this just, this feels like pandering to me. This feels like pandering yeah, to all the trolls. Yeah, it feels cynical, right? But if you've got like four different shows, you can have a pander show. That's fine. Throw that, that's the bone you throw to the dogs. Yeah. I just fear so, like it's also not going to be good because <laughs> it'll be like, it, <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's you know, always a worry. How much uh, Gilbert and Sullivan will they be uh, singing on this one? Oh, <laughs> the, the first episode, they got to start it off just so you know, they know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just feel like it'll be the reverse of like, it, it'll it'll be like the Orville or whatever. I haven't watched that. But, you know, where it's like, it's just trying to be like the other thing so hard. I don't know. But it's still not, it's still not good i don't know that's the kind of that's the impression that i get i've been kind of re-examining my preconceptions after watching lower decks a star trek comedy show that is uh not not particularly funny <laughs> and wondering like is this like does the orville have is the orville funny i know they're not star trek but they're kind of doing a star trek and are they funny and I think the answer is probably not really, but also I learned that they're not trying that hard. Like it is nominally a comedy show, but they're basically just doing Star Trek plots like TNG plots and right. they're taking it really seriously. And I'm like, well, any, can anybody here? I'll write you some Star Trek jokes like we can't be funny with Star Trek. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, so, I think we'll see some we see some comedy in our episode today and it. That's true. It goes all right. That's that. This is a great <laughs> exception, yeah, to uh, to my plaintive cry. But but you're right. You're right. Sometimes it's very like, uh, I guess it's too sometimes very broad and yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll see, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit. First, I wanted to say that uh, CBS All Access 
due to the merger with Paramount, has access to a bunch of new content, and they are uh, slowly but surely adding that content to their uh, service, CBS All Access. And it's all part of a new rebrand and a relaunch that'll be happening sometime early next year. And they are thinking about renaming the platform Paramount Plus. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> which <laughs> I feel like every, every, I mean, except for HBO, which is like, I don't, who knows what HBO streaming, uh, you know, service you have to go with. But yeah, you got Disney Plus, you got um, Showtime Plus or whatever. It just plus seems to be uh, the de rigueur name for your online offering. <laughs> I can't imagine saying to someone, I guess I say it now with CBS, but I can't imagine saying to someone like, hey, you got, do you have Paramount Plus? Like, I don't know. Yeah, right, right. Is it, um, Paramount is the highest and Tantamount is the second highest, right? So what about like, ten? it's it's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Look, I don't envy all these people who need to like come up with a brand but it's the same or, or a brand that indicates it's a secondary brand that indicates the first brand. Like it's, it's not easy, but um, Paramount plus is just like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is what it is. It's lazy, but I get what, what do you want out of it? You know, <laughs> like if I had a great name, I wouldn't be like, Oh boy. Great. <laughs> you know, props respect. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up just for the, that name that name alone. At least do the free trial for that. <laughs> I got to get in on that uh, the 78th week week of Trek or whatever we're on now. <laughs> well, um god damn, that's enough news. Uh let's uh, let's work work into our uh, main subject for today's show. Um the character of the middle-aged adolescent has become a stock one in entertainment. Uh you know, the boy who never grew up or the man who chafes at the humdrum experiences of modern life. And this archetype of the effete daydreaming every man as a critique of the average soft urban American probably wasn't anything new when cartoonist, author, and humorist James Thurber got his hands on it, but he certainly canonized that with his 1939 short story, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which was twice made into a film, the latest hitting theaters in 2013. Hi, how can I help you today? Hi, I can't seem to leave a wink for someone. Okay, uh, I'm looking at your profile. You left a lot of this stuff blank. Well, I haven't really been anywhere noteworthy or mentionable. Have you have you done anything noteworthy, mentionable? We have ahead of us the privilege of publishing the very last issue of Life magazine. Jumping up and down the floor. And for the final issue, we just received negative 25 from Sean O'Connell for the cover. It's 25. It's not there. I know. Look what I found! What's that? Travel journal dad gave me. The sun was an okay guy. Hey. They had a hey. How was your weekend? Have an awesome weekend. The ice, Jace. She moves like a woman. I'd like to climb your hair. Oh, wow. What is it you call it when he goes into one of his little places? Oh, zoned out. You do that now and then. What's the matter? I lost a picture. I like mysteries. You should go. Crack the case. You were Sean's partner. He finishes work. 
Now, I think yeah. we had talked <laughs> on a previous show, maybe last show, about uh, this and how we were all forced to read this when I was in school, but you were like, oh, word, I, I haven't heard of this. No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know it was anything other than that movie. Though I guess if you told me, like, this is based on, you know, some short story, you know, I'd be like, okay, I, I buy that. But I was I was a little surprised. Yeah, it was originally um, a short story, a very short story, really, in The New Yorker in 1939, uh, where a lot of Thurber's uh, original work uh, was. He was a cartoonist and a writer. And he was, do you know, like Dorothy Parker? Like he was kind of of that, like the Algonquin Roundtable sort of crowd, mm. these um, humorists and intellectuals, you know, who um, really made up like most of the content of the New Yorker then and now really <laughs> yeah. um, although it's more digital now um, and yeah this is like as a short story it just like hit people were like yeah that's that's right up our alley it's 1939 we don't want to think about the the Nazis and about war but we like this idea of this guy who's just kind of hapless but he's got all these dreams and ambitions but you know in real life he's uh, kind of a drip and uh, that just resonated with people and of course it was made um just uh, a few years later, in 1947, into a film starring Danny Kaye oh, as okay. Walter Mitty. Mm-hmm. So we got another movie going on. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know anything about the story or even the author, but uh, it was a it was a nice little read, I would say. It was it's like funny uh, on in a lot of ways. Like yeah, like it's it's like funny and like the guy is pathetic, you know, and you kind of like kind of like laugh at him and with him a little bit too, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I like a story like that where it's like you, you sympathize, but also like this, this guy, I don't know about this guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, I, I, I don't read the New Yorker, um, regularly. So I don't, if they have short stories or short fiction, I don't know like what it looks like or reads like today, but yeah, it's just like, it's, it's inoffensive. It goes down easy. It would definitely win first prize in a, in a short story, uh, contest at that time. And it also, um, it kind of like lampoons, I think, because <laughs> we don't know how old Walter Mitty is, but I assume he's not like enlistment age. So it sort of lampoons the idea, I think, of, you know, a middle-aged American guy with a job that's probably nondescript and no real excitement to his life. And in this case, you know, everybody else that he seems to meet or he passes is satisfied with their lives, but he never says it explicitly but he's not he's not happy with this. You know, he he dreamt of something more. He dreamt of something bigger. Um, I think it's really fascinating that like it opens with in a naval setting, you know, in a very Star Trek like kind of scene where he's like, you know, damn the torpedoes. We're going full speed ahead sort of thing. Yeah, it fits well with uh, with, you know, the, the Star Trek connection. Yeah. Yeah. I felt I at first was like, oh, they're on like a spaceship or something. And then I, I realized, oh, I just don't understand naval things so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like uh, it i'm sure a lot of people probably can kind of relate to that too like you know just like oh why you know i wish my life was better you know you all fantasize about things it's kind of a a basic thing but then i like that i like that it's not well i guess we'll get we'll get into it more with the movie but in the movie yeah. it's more like wish fulfillment than anything yeah the stakes are like zero and that's yeah. okay it's a very short story and 
I think it's cool that, well, I mean, I, we should probably just bring the movie into the conversation here um, to talk about it with um, in a comprehensive way. Um, this movie took a long time to get to the screen. Okay. And as I was watching the movie and imagining myself somewhere else, <laughs> I was thinking, like, who got paid here? Like, this has to be a producer's scam situation right this is just so blandly kind of i was gonna say entertaining but maybe like not entertaining it's so clearly designed by computer to appeal to everyone and offend no one and i was thinking like how could this this is 2013 how could this even in 2013 how could this be made you know why would ben stiller do this why would any of the people that are in this do this and it turns out that it was the kind of dream of Samuel Goldwyn Jr. to get this to the screen. Okay. Samuel Goldwyn Jr. is the son of Samuel Goldwyn, who is the G in MGM. Right, yeah. So it's Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. His father produced the original one, and as Samuel Goldwyn, who has produced many other you know successful and entertaining films, got up in years, he wanted to make a, uh, a remake of this as... Just kind of an homage to his father or just sort of follow in his footsteps. And so he tried to get this thing made since like the 90s. And it originally was to star Jim Carrey, which that, yeah, I'd want to see a 90s Jim Carrey do this role for sure. It, but it just makes me think, uh, like, I actually thought of the Truman Show while watching this movie. Oh, yeah, sure. And how much better it was. Like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah I can see that. And so it bounced around. Now, of course, they couldn't really get Jim Carrey because he was making lots of other classic movies in the 90s. Um, and it bounced from like Disney to New Line Cinema. I, I'm not sure why MGM wasn't making this, but MGM wasn't didn't exactly exist at that point. <laughs> like it was kind of going in and out of business. Uh, DreamWorks got a hold of it. Ron Howard got a hold of it at one point. And it basically just sort of fell apart because they couldn't figure out how to do this how to make it a full story and also how to do it in a modern setting. Yeah. The nineties is probably the last time you could have made a movie like this. Yeah. And it be any what tolerable. Yeah. <laughs> like I agree. a movie about someone who has like a pretty solid life, but is like whining. Cause it's not better or something, you know, yeah. where it's like, like an... now it's like, we're all on fire. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. care about your job. At you being life. detached. Yeah. I don't care about that at all. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's real things happening. And, uh, it, that was kind of the problem. I, like, I think like maybe an early two thousands Spielberg just jerking off movie could have been good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But he kind of like, went, that's catch me if you can. Right. That's sort of like this kid who literally like pretends to be these people and is pulling it off in real life. Yeah. Um, and so they went from like Jim Carrey to like Owen Wilson uh, to just other people. Like Scarlett Johansson was attached at one point. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in 2010 accepted the role and they started working there on it. Go. And then eventually he dropped out. Yeah. So Ben Stiller finally took it over and also said, you know, I've only directed like four movies at this point. Why don't I just direct it too? And that's how it ended up coming to screen. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I. I, I was like, who directed this? Like, because it feels like, like it's not a movie I ever had heard about. Like anyone, you know, no one ever talks about 
this in terms of the directing and I looked up and it's like, oh, it's Ben Stiller. It, it almost yeah. feels like absent a director or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, he's directed other stuff. Well, I don't know. <laughs> this felt just like so, I don't know. I got nothing from it in in that regard. So I was, I was just like, okay, Ben Stiller, he's, he's there. You know, he's there. That's true. I didn't um, feel his presence, I, I will say. Um, yeah, I, I would I would think of uh, like Cable Guy and Zoolander are much more to me Ben Stiller films, or at least young, funny Ben Stiller than something like this film. Yeah, this had none of the like it 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 was humorous at times, but it wasn't funny. <laughs> oh boy, that's yeah, that's a killer. I like the <laughs> I think the best touch that and it, it's not like super subtle or anything but it it reminded me a little bit of like zoolander or something was how all of the all the adam scott businessmen had these like very specific beards you know especially him (laughs) and it's like yeah that type of guy does have that beard when you can't be funny (laughs) have a funny beard yeah yeah that that kind of worked for me a little bit it was that was they were the most believable characters (laughs) in this movie what pissed me off about this and a lot of movies and also pretty much sealed it like in the first couple minutes for me for, that I just wasn't going to enjoy this is that you get this thing recently um, where a bunch of people, a bunch of really funny people are in a film and it's not funny. And you wonder why, why are there so many funny people in this and it's not funny at all? And like, Adam Scott is sometimes a good <laughs> indicator of that. Like, I think he's really funny. He's been in some good films, but you see him in a film and you're like, is this actually going to be funny? No, and okay, like, yeah. Ka- and Catherine Hahn shows up, somebody else who I think is starting to get the recognition she deserves. But mm-hmm. it's like, are they just going to be jerking off and working really hard on a script with no jokes in it? And the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen. It's not, the script's not funny, so let's put funny people in it and they'll make it funny somehow. And that's that doesn't always happen. That's that's everywhere. That's like, uh, yeah, a lot of comedy films now, or quote unquote, and then like, yeah, a lot of uh, like a lot of shows. It's like that. I don't even try them anymore. But it's like, do you hear about this show? It's on Netflix, and it's like, oh, it's got all these comedians in it, and it's like, oh, it's a, it's not really a comedy at all. It's, but it's called the. Com- I don't know. Yeah, it's nothing's funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, and Kristen Wiig, you know, being being asked to be not really funny. It's like, well, you got the funniest person in this film is has to play the straight woman, and it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, this uh, so this movie also is just so uh, a guy named Steve Conrad wrote the script. He also has worked on a lot of like not really funny movies. Uh, he was lauded for uh, writing the Pursuit of Happiness, which is not funny and wasn't supposed to uh-huh. be. Um, he wrote that movie. Um, Wonder starring Owen Wilson, which I don't know a lot about, but I know a lot of my Christian friends are really into. So that tells <laughs> I, me I saw it. It's exactly oh, okay. that type of movie, like in, okay. inspiration porn. You know, yeah. Pass on that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So he's kind of up and down, <clears throat> but it's so it's so clearly like assembled from the, the 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 exact second that it was made, like the fact that they go to Iceland, which of course is still a very popular. Vista, you know, in a filming location for films, but it's just like, I don't, maybe at this time it was an original choice, but I don't know the, um, the destination, like the final destination where he's supposed to end up is, and I, I won't be able to do this, but I, Jalog Jokul, 
you know, the volcano yeah. erupted in 2010 and like screwed up air travel for everybody. So it's like, oh, but yeah, put that in there. Put that in there. Um, yeah. The one thing that it gets kind of wrong and is weirdly wrong is that it's all set around the closure of Life magazine as a physical magazine and transitioning to online. An event that happened in the year 2000. Right. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I, I felt like, yeah, it's not it's not totally true, but it felt like, you know, I guess that's something that's happening a lot of places now still. So it's kind of, you know, grafted the reality into a I guess. different time period, I guess. But but they paint life as being totally hit blindside by this. And they were ahead of sure. the curve. Like they did that in two. Oh, geez. Where are we going to work now? No one looks at pictures anymore. It's like they figured that out. <laughs> In the year 2000. But it, for me, it just seems like this is so... Okay, confession. My parents love this movie. Like, that's who this movie's for. Right? Yeah. It, like, it's for it, baby boomers. And it's all about, like, Life magazine. And <laughs> yeah. they had that figured out. Like, like they even real life doesn't fit this film. And so I thought maybe it's like a period piece. Like, maybe this is supposed to be, you know, in the late 90s or turn of the century. He's got an old Dell laptop. Um the, you know, he's. It's about the closure of life, mm-hmm. and then at one point, Kristen Wiig's like, "Oh, let me Google this volcano." I'm like, "Oh, she's googling on a smartphone." This yeah, is no, absolutely not a period piece. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's too like maybe why I feel like when I was talking about Ben Stiller's presence, it's like it does feel like less a movie that was like made by someone and more of like created to you know, a, it's like a commercial. It's like a long commercial. It's sort yeah. of a commercial for Life magazine or whatever. Like yeah, that. or like a Kodak digital printer or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like every time they're talking about like the value and motto of like Life magazine, I'm like, I don't even know. I don't know much about that publication or whatever, but I'm like, who? Why would you? Yeah, like who <laughs> why, cares? Why, why the hell would you? <laughs> like if they closed down, like so many people would not care. <laughs> Which I feel like means saying that. Well, a lot of people who are nearing retirement age might care. And so let's have a, I think Ben Stiller was 47 years old when this movie was made. Let's have a 47-year-old guy uh, be be looking for love. Uh, It's funny that you mentioned time, I don't, or excuse me, life. I don't think that they sponsored this necessarily, but I mean, clearly they were okay with it being made. There is a lot of plot product placement in this film. And it's not just, it's like integral to what's going on. I kept writing down like, oh, so brought to you by e- eHarmony, you know, or uh, brought to you by Cinnabon, you know, or. Uh, yeah. What, Papa John's and KFC are like hugely featured. There ain't no Papa John's in Iceland. I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> you know that? Yeah, I looked it up. Oh, okay, okay. It, it's, that's a fiction. I'd believe it, you know. Well, yeah, I guess. I thought the eHarmony thing was, like, conceptually... I think, actually, a lot of this is like, oh, that's a okay idea, but... But it's in everything. Like, you know, the it, You Got Mail is all about, um, at least the... Uh, I know it's a musical from the 30s, but, like, a, the, the modern adaptation is about the digital space, you know, eliminating the brick-and-mortar space in bookstores, and it's about the advance of technology, but they meet on, like, a dating site, right? Yeah, yeah. Push, you know, pushing middle age character, unhappy with their life, look, reaches out to somebody. Uh, it's just like that's not that's nothing new. Yeah, maybe the movie could it could have been like cutting edge if it was released in the year two thousand or something. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe if it was released in 2013, they could have tried to update it and make this guy a victim of a new kind of thing that Walter Mitty from the 30s was dealing with. He's dealing with being, you know, a middle-aged American man and not being able to get into the war and just sort of this the beginnings of this American malaise uh, that yeah. would be cut short by, you know, the... Um, the, the optimism of the 50s, how do you address that in 2013? Because it's real and it's still going on. There, There's so much to be like just completely flattened by in the world right now. <laughs> I think we've talked yeah. about it before, but yeah, someone who is experiencing, yeah, the after effects of like every financial crisis and ongoing war, you know, and, and you know, in income inequality and like Obviously, everyone right now is like, what if my life was not so <laughs> shitty? It was not this. Yeah. yeah. It's right. Conceptually, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, this is a very relatable concept, but. Sure. Yeah. But how do you imagine and work towards, you know, a sociopolitical reality that'll make our lives better? A. Or B, you know, like Instagram snaps? Like he basically just is going through like, you know, travel, travel will make your life better. He's he he never traveled. So that's why he's such a yeah, uh, a schmuck. Yeah, it really so, feels like when you're like people are like, seeing oh, you, mountains, just need to, you just need to get out there and travel, man. Like, seeing wildlife, you know, yeah. Playing soccer with uh, with Afghanistan kids or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So many people are like, OK, I wish I could do that, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be wouldn't that be great? Not <laughs> this that, guy not can that do every it movie he has life to for be years. about like p- poor people and like being upset about it, you know. But like yeah. that's just like I can't re- I can't relate to this at all. It just felt, yeah, yeah, it did feel like a movie to make <laughs> boomers feel better about themselves. Yeah, it's uh, it's not too late. How many trips to Iceland were booked after this movie came out? Because this movie was a success. Uh, it was made for ninety million dollars, which that's <laughs> too much. But uh, it made almost two hundred million dollars. So, you I, know, I should ask if, my mom about this. I think she. If Ben Stiller gets bored, uh, you know, maybe he'll make a, a sequel. We'll, Walter we'll Mitty too. <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh no, the fantasies are back. What really bugged me about this film, and it was reiterated by I'd read this story, like I said, you know, years and years ago, but uh, reading it recently, is that the the fantasies are relatable in the story, and they make sense in the context of the story. So he is somebody who is basically it's Walter Mitty is, is doing it in a name day of chores that he's done a million times before. He doesn't want to do. And so the little snippets of dialogue or the situations that he finds himself in, um, don't necessarily tell us a lot about his emotional state, but do fit into the narrative in interesting ways. Whereas the first thing that happens in Walter Mitty, we're not even introduced to the idea that he is somebody whose mind kind of wonders. He throws himself off a subway platform, smashes into a house, grabs a dog, you know, the building explodes. And the woman that we, I guess we've seen a picture of her, but we've never met before is like, oh, thanks for saving my dog. And it's just like, what what does this have to do with anything? And that continues throughout the film. There are so many times where something, you know, a, a fantasy will start and you're like, how is this related to anything? He wasn't, it's not necessarily motivated by something that happens to him emotionally. It's, do you know what I mean? Yeah. To the point where when amazing things do start happening to him, you're like, is this real? Is he having a daydream right? Is he really being attacked by a shark? 
wouldn't that be insane? And then he gets onto the boat <laughs> and his briefcase has a huge shark bite in it. And you're like, oh, I guess that really happened. That insane thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird because it feels like. <laughs> Why they... would he daydream when he's about to die? Right. <laughs> like he's literally he doesn't need entertainment. He's literally in a life threatening situation. Well, it, yeah. But may, I was like, I guess maybe that's the point is that first he's fantasizing, but then. As the movie goes on, he's like actually partaking in the wild things he's fantasizing oh, sure. that's, about doing, right? Right, yeah. right. And that's what they got from the story, but that is literally not what the story no, is about. No, it's not about like go out there and get them, you know? I guess if you have to add a third act, maybe that's how you want to do it. The, the scene that I both hated and also sort of not loved, but saw as a good application of this whole thing is when he... Oh, first of all, he goes to the bar in Iceland, and this guy literally is going to stab him with a bottle. And I'm like, is this a fantasy sequence? <laughs> yeah, is this yeah. really happening? But <laughs> it's it's when they're having, like, there's a karaoke stage, and he, Kristen Wiig appears, and for no other reason except we jammed it in earlier by having um, Adam Scott call him Major Tom because he's a spaceman or whatever. She sings Major Tom, and that's his sort of, like, he's imagining a closer connection with her. He's imagining her encouraging him like that for in the movie's universe. I thought that was a good application of him finding the strength to like do this crazy thing because he imagines that she would support him in doing it. Well, it's also because it's something, it's something more than like, um, like a more inspirational message than like, you got to travel, you know, it made, yeah, right. <laughs> it made me think a little bit more about, um, that movie stranger than fiction. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Which is less, it's kind of about a similar guy, but like the message isn't like, you know, like you're, you're spending your wealth on the wrong thing. <laughs> it felt more like, yeah, you, you, you need love, you know, <laughs> something like yeah, that. But also, yeah, but your life is boring, but there is a reason that it's boring. It's because you are not the main character of this story. Yes, exactly. And, and, what, and what do you think about that little not main character? Like, that is a great evolution of the Walter Mitty premise in the 21st century. Yeah. yeah. And this it, is it, not. Even the even the Star Trek episode did, did it a little bit better, too. <sighs> yeah, the third act. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it did the same kind of thing, but it did it, it pulled it off better. But, um, but otherwise, just watching actors who aren't <laughs> singers sing... <laughs> yeah you know my... to, to, to the soundtrack is uh yeah did this movie give david boy cancer that's what i need to know um, oh god a minor <laughs> thing it made me think of uh there was a part where she's like you know he was wrong to call you major tom is an insult because the song is actually about like stepping out and being adventurous and i was like yeah if only he knew that he would feel real silly <laughs> yeah, for misapplying that david bowie reference <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> that would really get him. Yeah. Also, it's kind of a song about dying in space, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's not the, I don't know. Weird. <laughs> Something that really creeped me out, but again, I thought might have been a better way for the movie to go was the Benjamin Button scene. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which was which was horrifying. But if he is using this this fantasy power to sort of improve his life or to see himself in a better life that he feels like he can't reach because he feels like he's ineffectual. And of course, you know, the movie's like, no, you're not. You can go to Iceland. That would be the, I want to see skits like that. Not just a totally random thing where he is street surfing while fighting over a stretch Armstrong with Adam Scott. 
what? That was awful. Yeah. Yeah. But the Benjamin Button thing, I like the fact that it's like, I haven't really seen the movie. So like, he's a little baby man in the movie because he doesn't know what the movie's about. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like, and also like him being the baby man in the movie was like, this is like one of the fake movies he would have been in, in Tropic Thunder, like his character. Yeah, that. Part... Remember, we see the li- we see the little trailers of like him. You know, he's he got to save a baby and he's got a gun. Yeah, this is making me think about how because I kept thinking about other movies that it made me think of, and yeah, maybe that's yeah. your version of like the daydreaming. You know, where you said you were wishing you were watching something else. Because I I thought about uh, UHF, the Weird Al movie. Oh yeah, where that's... he's. God, Which we it, should have done UHF for this. God damn it! Yeah, UHF is actually like the best That's version perfect. of this because he's fantasizing about all uh, these movies that he would make and stuff like that. Such a good grab! I was so paralyzed by this movie, I couldn't come up with it. That's such a good grab, Gooey. Thank you. Oh, we should have. Oh, fuck! But then, like, all that stuff becomes real, and he, you know, defeats like the corporate news in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, not totally. <laughs> you know, but. Yeah, but I, I mean, I guess I give this movie points for not just doing um, movie and TV pastiches like UHF did. Although it's totally native to the character. He's obsessed with like, yeah, TV and movies. It's, it's but, weird Al, too. You know? But they do that in this one scene, and I was it suddenly it was like, oh, this is familiar to This feels funny. And then they go back and do something else, and it's like, ugh. Like when the, the volcano explodes, and the guy, after he does that cool thing where he's you know he's he's longboarding to arcade fire or whatever the fuck uh, yeah. and and then they he drives him back and it's like all right well, why did that happen at all except for the trailer and i'm like is the volcano really exp- is this a fantasy too yeah yeah i don't i don't why know. put why put the audience in that in that situation i don't know i just it was frustrating. And then every time like a fantasy would happen, because once the story gets going, I'm not really super invested, but okay, a guy's trying to find a thing. Like I can, I can swallow that. But then a fantasy would happen. It's like, oh, great. Oh, another fantasy sequence. I can't wait to just mark time until we can get back to the low stakes movie. Did you know the picture was in the wall the whole time? Whole time? No, <laughs> I wasn't thinking about oh, it, actually. I did. Oh, Okay. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like that, actually, and, like, the idea that he would have, like, thrown it away, I guess, but then yeah. but then it's like, then he got it, you know? I was like, oh, maybe that would have been, like, a good tragic, as much as it could be tragic, you know, irony or something, but really wasn't the Yeah, point, if it know? had just, he'd thrown it away, and then we never knew what it was, because they keep talking about the quintessence, you know, of, oh, yeah. of what and Life Magazine a is supposed to be. Oh, picture of him, I just remembered that. <sighs> yeah yeah it's you dumb. are the main character yeah and he even looks it's in black and white and he's got you know like a real kind of classic or retro kind of look so it even looks like it was taken in the 50s or something like that it, like, it's just supposed to be you did it boomers you made it <laughs> you know what i mean like you, you, you made it the whole way i mean that's what life was for <laughs> come on oh god it's life magazine it's his life Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I feel bad for Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, I'm yeah, this this wore me she's, out. She's so much better than this. So anyway, like I yeah, I just think that the the story works because cause it's only four pages and it doesn't have to like go the whole way. You don't yeah, I, I was thinking about it, it's like you just get a snapshot into this guy's life and yeah. you, 
you see but when you have to make acts out of it and there has to be a, like a reason like what's the payoff for him thinking and feeling this way plus did you get the sense that i'm not saying he has to wear like prosthetic teeth or something but there's nothing really wrong with him like he doesn't he's not he's not the guy that's going to do shots shot shot shots and do something crazy but when he talks to Kirsten Wig he's like being friendly he's He's not doing anything to like really spark interest in him, but it doesn't matter because she becomes attracted to him over the course of the movie. Not, there's, what's wrong with his life? There's nothing. There's a little too much gray in his home decor, but he's not doing anything wrong with his life. That's yeah. That's why it's like at least even in the short story, you kind of get the idea that like some of this is brought upon by the character or something. You know? Sure. Um, but... Tell tell your wife, hey, I don't want to wear overshoes. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Um, but yeah, I, that makes me want, I guess that's true though. There are just some people who, I don't know what it is. They can't, they just can't do it. <laughs> they just can't talk to people or something like, and not even in like a, they can have a normal conversation with them, but they can't connect with people. So maybe there's something there. I don't know. Yeah. Speaking of you know, funny people who are in bad movies constantly, you know, Patton Oswalt is in this. And He's just some in reason, everything constantly. Yeah, and for some reason, like, I get him being on the phone and having this runner about eHarmony, and apparently they're a worldwide organization that can reach you on top of a mountain in Afghanistan. Uh, no no cell service there, right? But but then, for some reason, he has to meet with him in some, like, Campbellian way. Like, he gets back... And to you know, and he flies to California with a little sequence where he's in an X-ray thing, and then he's dancing to a flute or something. Why is this happening? Why is any of this happening? Yeah. But then he's got to meet Patton Oswalt and then have a scene that's paid for by Cinnabon. I thought, and I, when he called him on the mountain, because that seems so unreal, I thought, oh, is this like one of his fantasies? Right. Exactly. And then I thought, and I don't know, like, there's a way. I don't know. I haven't thought about it too much, but. An interesting thing could have been like Pat Oswald isn't even real or something. Oh, uh, he's like a voice in his head or like a Tyler Durden. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that would have meant, but you could have. I think it would have been the more interesting thing than just like, yeah, it's just he's just like a guy, you know. <laughs> if this was not a Walter Mitty property from the Walter Mitty extended universe, <laughs> it would just be a film where a guy dreams about having a more exciting life admires a coworker from afar is bullied by a boss. And then you have a scene in the elevator where the boss says like, look at this guy. And he's like, no, look at you and punches him in the face. And you know, it's like Walter, Walter, there'd be little maybe imaginings where he's, you know, killing somebody or something like that, you know, or doing something crazy. But otherwise it's just a guy who finds his sense of adventure and there and there is no fantasy arc to it at all. That doesn't matter. I'd argue that it doesn't it doesn't matter in this movie. No, it, it's but it's not only needed. there. Yeah, it's only there because famously Walter Mitty, of course, has these huge daydreams. Like, does he? <laughs> they're so the the excuses for them are so thin. Like, she's joking with her friend that you know, oh, I saw my Latin lover this weekend. He gets that's a joke, right? Because immediately after that, he has. A fantasy where he is a Latin mountain climber, which, by the way, the movie involves mountain climbing at the end, but there's no thematic connection to this like <laughs> f- fantasy he has at the beginning. No. He's like, 
oh, I'm just climbing this mountain. And it's like he he gets that she doesn't like really want to date some Latin Lothario, right? But that's like his fantasy. I, I, I mean, maybe you could pass it as like he's just so he's not though, but like he's like so obsessed with her that like he's not even thinking straight about it. You know, he's just. Oh, she's a Latin lover? Like, I wish I was her Latin lover, you know? <laughs> I guess. It doesn't really come off that way, but... Yeah. I didn't, I, um... I didn't even really think about that. I was like, oh, he's just, like, imagining he's, like, a sexy guy, I guess. <laughs> uh, I suppose... Um, do you want to talk about Sean Penn? Uh, I guess so. <laughs> he's a the... character in the movie. Yeah. Uh, this is probably the last second that you could use Sean Penn without him being uh, problematic personally because we're, we're kind of tired of people that you know beat up women and oh, uh, yeah. I forgot what his deal was I just, I just or don't also think politically oh, okay. if you were assembling a, a movie that had to appeal to uh, boomers of either political stripe uh, you couldn't really use him anymore but even the idea of the character that he plays is like this throwback idea of this ranging you know photojournalist who's in a market in marrakesh you know one day and on top of a mountain the next it's just an idea that we don't really idolize anymore it's like a a rugged individual maybe or something yeah right yeah Yeah. who also will come back to new york and stalk you at a moment's notice yeah no and then talk to your mom (laughs) he will go hang out with your mom yeah, I like how they try to pass it as like, yeah, he's so he like actually cares a lot about your life, but he he only interacts with you in the most like mysterious guy ways, you know. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah, he's your leathery guardian angel. <laughs> yeah, I actually I don't know. I feel like he was almost he was like a non-entity in the movie. Like I Oh, absolutely. I felt like the encounter with him could have been like this moment you know revelate revelatory moment and it was supposed to be or no encounter (laughs) do you know what i mean like he's he's this spirit that sort of guides walter Mitty to an enlightenment but they don't have to meet necessarily yeah yeah that would work too yeah if he was yeah just like a looming presence that you never really see (laughs) yeah but i mean he's sean penn so they're paying him um this, I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but this movie features this thing where whenever I see the credits of a movie in the world of the movie, like they're presented like they're practical. Okay. Like they're there in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie's going to be bad. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the late aughts and early, uh, or the late, uh, yeah, the late aughts, the early teens was was the era for this anyway. So I don't know if every movie was made from 2008 to not, hmm. 2013 was bad. I don't even remember we, the credits in this movie. We get that in this. So he walks out of his apartment and it's, oh. it says like on the building, you know, Fox Pictures Presents or, or, or whatever. Right. Um, and then, you know, a, a Ben Stiller film or something. And <laughs> the problem with that is it happens in this because... I don't know if it's supposed to be he's imagining the credits or something, but he finally, you know, he sits on the train platform and the train pulls away and reveals another sign. The credits have been appearing on street signs and it just says 125th Street. I'm like, so the movie's called 125th Street? (laughs) (laughs) And it isn't until he wakes up from his first fantasy that we see that it says, you know, the secret life of Walter Mitty on these two signs. There's got to be there's got to be good examples of this. I, I hate that. It just the movies are never good when they do that or when they when the credits hang and like in the movie Panic Room, which is an okay movie, not great. um, You know, you're panning over the city and the credits are there as if they're like these huge structures that are also 
sort of moving with the buildings. I just don't, uh, it's not important. It, the credits just tell you who made it. Let's just move on with our lives. There had to have been, maybe there wasn't, but there had to have been like one cool movie that did it. And then everyone else was like, we got to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go on a, a journey. That's my own Walter Mitty journey to find the movie that, that does that. That's a, that's a YouTube video essay right there for you. There, that is. Yeah. I'll Someone see if one of it. the um, many people I support on Patreon who make movie criticism <laughs> videos is be willing to do that. Um, I, the, the fantasies, here's what you can do with a, um, with a movie. You know, we talked about what, not knowing if something was a, a fantasy or not a sequence. You can use that. You could take us in, you could misdirect us. You could take us in directions where we weren't sure, right? Right, yeah. And so he's he's doing something. He's on a boat or he's running from an avalanche and things could happen and you could still move the story forward, but we wouldn't know if some of the things we saw was, were, were real, um, but he could just sort of get something out of it. But instead what we get in this film is he feels like the conversation with Kristen Wiig didn't go well. And so he's like, look, look at what I made you. And he's, you know, the, the statue at 30 rock is like him and her. <laughs> and he's like, I made it. She's like, that's so great. It's like, that's it? That's yeah. what you're doing with your device? Yeah, it's so, sometimes I feel like it's overutilized, and then <laughs> Is other that times it's joke? underutilized. Yeah. <laughs> Are you telling a joke right now? Yeah. it's Everything uh. just feels so sanded down. Like It's just like, yeah, there's nothing interesting to interact with too much in this movie, you know, to engage with, so... A great sign that we're talking about a bad movie is bringing up other movies. You ever seen the movie Joe versus the Volcano? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a while, but I, I've seen that. It's sort of like a similar thing. Like he 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 works in a sort of unfulfilling job and environment, and he ends up in a in an insane yeah. situation where he's kind of living life. And yeah, it's just made me think of that. And there totally are movies where it's like, oh, you fantas like they fantasize about doing the, the punch to the face of someone and then it's like they snap out of it. Like, you know, yeah, it's right. kind of well-worn territory in a lot of ways. Well, when I watch bad movies, I always think, imagine that there's a limited amount of celluloid in the world. I mean, now it's all on digital, but like, let's say there's a minimum amount of gigabytes in the world. Do we want to put this on the drive? Do you know what I mean? Do we want, oh, yeah. Should we bother shooting this? That uh, That's a great podcast idea, actually. Like, is this movie worth saving? Well, they actually, I think there is a podcast where they do that with, like, video games or, or something like that. Oh, okay. If there's, like, a hard drive, do we put this video game on the hard drive to shoot into space? Um, but, uh, yeah, but that's just how I feel. Like, And, of course, we talked, when we were talking about Trek movies at the beginning, nobody in Hollywood thinks like that. They just think how much money can we make off of this? And from that, from that perspective, it was a success. Yeah. It goes both ways. It's like, there are some movies that, that just should be made, but they won't <laughs> because of how much money it'll make. And there's some movies that shouldn't be made, but, but they will. I also think it's weird. Cause this whole movie is about like living your life, looking at pictures versus like going out and doing stuff, but he's doing some amazing things and he works for life. He could be taking some pictures Get your cell phone out. You're talking to like Afghanistan warlords and, and shit. Like you know, you, well, why not take some pictures? Why not have something to remember this amazing thing you did? The movie just like 
Because he experienced out. it, man. I guess. It, it, yeah, yes, and, it, yeah, sure. Sean Penn, famous you know, photojournalist. Sometimes I don't even take the picture. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's such bullshit. Like, that's literally why you're there. That's it, like they're not paying, in the moment. They're not paying you, yeah, to go on vacation. Just take the picture. Are you kidding me? This is why, like, photojournalists take pictures of, like, kids and, like, a vulture is about to eat a starving kid. It, I'm sure that they went and tried to help the kid after they take the picture but you take the picture this may the movie should have ended with him getting a promotion to photojournalist is what you're saying well i mean <laughs> it, it, i think the movie crosses over uh, against its own purpose when they, they have him working for a magazine that is for the all the people who can't do this is bringing them these amazing pictures of experiences around the world and then he just goes off on this thing and he's like yeah, I didn't take any pictures. <laughs> what? No, he just had to get the other guy's picture. Yeah. How could he go on an international trip, be emptying out his wallet, giving money all the time, and he never finds the thing? It's so dumb. You know, the movie should have ended with him uh, blowing up a bank. I think that would have been that would have been more thematic. <laughs> Like, for, I made my fantasies real. <laughs> like I'm, a, I'm an actual bank robber now. It should just been Fight Club. <laughs> and, like, why is... Yeah, and pl- well, speaking of Fight Club, oh, I had Fight Club... Sean Penn should have been him. <laughs> yeah, the whole time. Yeah. I, was, uh, I, was, I was thinking about all the things that he should repudiate and hate that are sort of you know, buoying him up, especially like Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt is just a runner. He keeps kind of checking in with him, but then he shouldn't like meet Patton Oswalt and he's his friend, you know, like you got 300 likes. It's like, fuck you. So what? You know, I, I have a real life now. Like they, yeah, exactly. Why, yeah. Why are they kin, kins now? You know what I mean? Like it should be more like, I don't need your stupid website anymore. He shouldn't need know. the website. He, sh- he doesn't need to be friends and have the, mo- like, respect the motto of his job or whatever yeah he should be like i hate pictures now fuck pictures (laughs) yeah exactly he he should have blown adam scott up (laughs) he goes to his um his you know girlfriend or his wannabe girlfriend's house and it does that dumb movie thing where her ex is there so clearly you know they just fucked (laughs) right there's no there's no way he's there to get a box of stuff or to just, you know, repair his her refrigerator because he's not a total asshole. But, like, that's a great point where he gets in a cab and he sees, he sees like, because on, on cab TV, he sees, like, a Conan episode and imagines he's on it. Why yeah. not do a scene where he's imagining them fucking? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Happy Gilmore did that. Do you know what I mean? Like, why not imagine, like, this guy taking every his whole life? You know, he runs into Adam Scott and Adam Scott's like, you know, we need a negative assessor or whatever we had this real loser just quit you know and he just like takes his, everything that his is is his you know he um he's hanging out with uh he's hanging out with shirley mcclain or something like that like, yeah but instead you know no we got conan to do the movie so we did this they just really ugh, wanted ugh. to be like oh he's at the low point or something do, do you know about the red pill blue pill connection to this film uh <laughs> like the matrix or like People who, I don't know how they don't know, but I guess if a boomer is listening to this, there's a thing going around on the internet where, you know, there's a scene in The Matrix where uh, Neo, uh, played by Keanu Reeves, is confronted by Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, 
who becomes kind of his spiritual guru. And he tells him, you know, if you take the red pill, you'll wake up from this bland reality. Yeah. And if you take the blue pill, you go back to sleep. Another better version of this movie. <laughs> well, yeah. And that has been uh, co-opted by um, by sexist uh, misogynists on the internet to say, take the red pill, man. Women control the control the world. And they're trying to keep you down and make you a, a, a slave they're and a breeder. To make you buy Kleenex and... The right shoes <laughs> and, and, and dog wear biscuits. your gloves. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. You got to wake up and be a real man. <laughs> In this film, he goes to Iceland and he's offered a choice of two cars, a red car and a blue car, and he takes the red car. Oh, he got red card. <laughs> so some, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So some men's rights activists, because men need rights, uh, have latched onto that. For Walter Mitty. And I, in that scene... Uh, this is a dumb movie, so I don't feel proud about getting ahead of a lot of things in this movie. But in that scene, I'm like, he's going to pick the red card. And I wasn't even thinking about the Matrix thing. I was just thinking, it's been all cool tones, you know, grays and blues. He's got he's going to snazz it. I was thinking from a design perspective, he's going to snazz it up. He's going to get the red car. But I didn't even know that I was falling into the hands. Wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess, I guess if they want to, like, look to this movie, I'd rather... They can take this as opposed to The Matrix. I think that's fine. <laughs> Non-sci-fi sexists uh, hold up the secret life of Walter Mitty, yeah, as their, as their thing. Yeah. He showed her strength and power. He showed her his sweet skateboard moves, and she was at his feet. Yeah, actually, I feel like maybe if they got more into this movie, maybe their lives would be better. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe this movie has potential to actually do good in the world, you know? There's a bit of fatalism in the in the original story. I liked how his last fantasy, because he's just like standing against the wall waiting for his wife to do something else, and he imagines that he's he's smoking a cigarette and he imagines that he's in front of a fire, firing squad. Yeah, yeah, that was. And great. he's like inscrutable to the end. That Walter Mitty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Again, I liked because that was kind of like to me, it's funny and it, you're kind of laughing with him, but it's also like kind of pathetic, you know? <laughs> like, right? It's yeah, he's pathetic. That's the point. Like we we. It makes you do that thing where you kind of you um, feel for the uh, protagonist, you you um, you sympathize with the protagonist, but you also go, it's kind of your problem, man. Like you can, it's your life. You can do whatever you want with it. And this movie can't end on that note. I, I realize that, but it ends with him not buying the magazine cover that he's on. <laughs> wow. I don't. Yeah, I hate magazines. I hate magazines and pictures now. <laughs> that- I mean, he wouldn't buy it. Come on. It'd be a great character origin story is why they hate pictures. <laughs> I went on a trip around the world, decided, screw pictures. Well, screw this movie. Yeah, I'm over it. I can finally I put it to bed. I wish I could tell you to watch the Danny Kay one. It's probably more funny. I haven't seen it, but, uh, well, I was, but you know, I was doing, the story is uh, short. Read it. I was doing uh, research, and there's um, there's uh, was a cartoon show. What was it called? It was like The Secret Life of Waldo Kitty. What? <laughs> and it was an animated show about like cats. <laughs> in, like, what? Yeah, where is where is this? I I should have had this ready to go, but <laughs> it's <laughs> the it's fact real. That you know about it at all is amazing. Waldo Yeah, here we go. American animated series from 1975. And it's Oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, it's That's about my time. it's about some some cats. <laughs> So maybe that maybe we should watch that. I guess. Let yeah, we should have done that. 
Why, why do you think this persists? Do you know what I mean? I don't think it is. Th- I think this is the last time. Oh, this is the last gasp. Yeah, that's it. It's it's yeah. It's kind of like hmm. thematically, that's very strong. I feel like we're living in the like last gasp of the boomers. Okay. You know. Well, I guess you'd be the best judge. Like if I went to an Arcade Fire concert and just pulled a couple of people aside and went, "Do you know like what Walter Mitty?" Oh is? shit! You're right. I wonder if they'd know or not. Because now, yeah, you put a song in a movie and... Oh, you mean, oh, like going the other way. Okay, I could... I Maybe. Oh, you're th- you're thinking... I was thinking like... I'm just thinking the age range, you know. Right. I guess I don't even know. I don't, I don't really give a shit about Arcade Fire, but... I was sort of thinking like, oh, now they're, they put that song in the movie. Like maybe some Arcade Fire fans are like, oh, I like that movie. It's got the song in it. Because <laughs> even for Baby Boomers, this is stretching it, you know? Like they... It would have been something that they would have learned, I guess, in school, a curriculum created by people older than them. Yeah. But I I always wonder how, why ideas persist for so long. This will only persist in the minds of, like, people who fantasize about being boomers, you know? Like, (laughs) but... (laughs) So, (laughs) so when I die, it'll really be the funeral of Walter Mitty. Yeah, yeah, maybe. as well. <laughs> yeah, sure, because yeah, that, I, that idea will finally die. Because this movie is completely unmemorable. I made a lot of money, but I think it will be lost to time. Samuel <laughs> Goldwyn's son won't make this mo- another one. I don't think. Yeah, well, he's gone. So yeah, it's yeah. it's not like <laughs> like they'll keep making like a Star Is Born or whatever. But yeah, not that's something this. else. Why did the why does that persist? It's got more staying power, I guess, because it it. Well, I don't know. Walter Mitty could graft to now, like we said. Maybe that's what they'll do in like ten years: is make like, you know, the the Gen Z Walter Mitty movie. Why am I helping them do that? But a <laughs> an influencer who posts amazing pictures. Of places they've supposedly been, but they've never actually done all that. They get the pictures from other people. They've constructed a persona where they're a world traveler influencer is forced to go on a world trip to do blah, blah, something, and then learn the value of it. And then at the end, they go, oh, you're going to put all this in your account? No, I don't, I don't use Instagram anymore. Yeah, I don't, I don't need the likes or whatever they're called there. I have to erase this. I have to drive th- 600 miles and kill you and then <laughs> and then myself. So that doesn't propagate, but yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that will be that'll be terrible. <laughs> well, let's put this to bed. Uh, I think we're done. Uh, and with that, we'll take a break for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back with more backtracking. How would you describe Just Enough Trope? We are the Just Enough Trope podcast. I'm your host, Caliban, joined as always by my co-host. Hi, I'm Mikan Hana. Oh no, does this mean they can hear all the things I yell at the TV during Downton Abbey? Why did you do that? How do you plead? Let the game begin. Yeah, check these fresh moves. Oh! Don't shoot man in face. This isn't the Save Gotham fundraiser. It's the Chill Family Reunion. Master Yoda assigned a Padawan to this bold Jedi. I think it's pronounced Padawan. Oh, Padawan, excuse me. Hey, it's getting late. I think Ralph's going to want his motorcycle back. Uh, go check out the pictures of Dean 
gray. I am freaking getting old. <laughs> yeah, I noticed the life clock was blinking in your hand. Get out of here, Wilson. Go fight the Teen Titans or something. I'm unkillable, not unwoundable. You like Sailor Moon, right? Why don't you sail on this Wow. Just Enough Trope. News, reviews, and geek fondue every Monday on the Just Enough Trope Podcast Network. Loving me never have a say. You so be sorry. What? Okay, we're back. It's time to talk about the Trek side of this equation. And being a Starfleet officer is supposed to be a career of adventure out among the stars, but someone still has to clean the toilets and pump out the bilge or whatever the 24th century equivalent is. With series like Lower Decks exploring the less glamorous aspects of a career in Starfleet, it looks like the creators of Trek are becoming more willing to challenge the idea of space travel being all awesome all the time. But Star Trek Voyager already looked into that, giving us an episode in which the Doctor, an advanced, brilliant hologram with unlimited potential, is forced to stay in sickbay while his crewmates are allowed to indulge their dreams of exploring space. His daydreams about all the things he could be doing instead make up the action of Tinker Tenor, Dr. Spy. A secret experiment is turning fantasy into reality. I couldn't bear to be alone. <laughs> and everyone... A neurochemical imbalance is driving him to mate. Have a look. ...is feeling the effects... Right there. ...in all new Voyager. When I talked to somebody recently about comedy... In, in Trek for enterprising individuals. We didn't, like, the point was to say that comedy and Trek are oil and water. It wasn't to point out all the great moments of comedy in Trek, because there are some. And I was reminded, <laughs> watching this episode recently, how this is one of those times, like how funny this episode is. Yeah, yeah, I I had never seen this, actually, but... um. Really? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I don't. at least I don't remember it from when I sort of went through Voyager... But it, yeah. it, it is, yeah, it is pretty funny. There are times where um, it does, like, stuff gets to me, and I think it's just because there are certain, like, characters in the show that I just, like, despise. So, like, anything they say, I'm like, <laughs> God, I wish you would shut up type thing. But there you even, mean in Voyager? In Voyager, yeah. There's some characters okay. uh, who just get under my skin a little bit. No, thanks. So, but even there were some good bits with, with them. So, I... I got to give it credit for that. If I can, it makes me like slightly enjoy characters that I don't like a lot more, you know, <laughs> what really works about it. And I think one of the problems that I have with lower decks um, and their exclamation that they're, they're not going to punch down on star Trek. They're not going to make fun of the, um, the, the, the tropes of star Trek is that this, you know, this works because they are making fun of the tropes of Star Trek. Like, the the opening scene is just a perfect, like, SNL Star Trek sketch. Like, yeah. Already pre, pre-written. There's just the idea that, like, yeah, okay, you all know what the Ponfar is. Uh, so that's yeah, that's the setup. And he's, he's singing this. <laughs> he, we, we all know that characters go to opera and they hear other, you know, officers like, to perform opera. music. They love doing that. And so we've got that situation and then he's doing the song, but the, but the lyrics are what's going on. And he says, uh, yeah, you have gone without for seven years about. <laughs> and uh, having to hit him with the hyperspray and everything uh, in the butt. It's just like, <laughs> and when you're watching it, like you don't know. Like the first time I saw this, you don't really know that what's going on with the doctor. So you, you figure something's weird. But yeah, it just fits. 
it fits right into like a Star Trek teaser. Like, what is going on right now? And then you realize, oh, he's he's just having some kind of daydream. It was confusing, it, but in like a fun way. Because also, he's doing this song. And I feel like normally, in when I think of like anytime there's a performance in Next Gen, you show people reacting. They're like nodding or smiling or like crying or whatever they're doing. In this or thing, when Data's, Data's reading his bad poems about his cat. Yeah, and you see... And, like, Riker's falling asleep. Yeah, exactly. Like, and yeah. everyone's being polite. In this, like, he's singing a song, and they were cutting to everyone's face, and they there was, like, no emotion on anyone's face. <laughs> well, in the case of Garrett Wang, uh, who knows if that was intentional, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, just, it was like they, they show whoever, and it's, like, nothing. But then it, like... But then when it gets to Tuvok and he's like crying, I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone the, else looks like a Vulcan. You know? <laughs> and the doctor does his daring do. Uh, and then everybody is just creaming their jeans. They're yeah. Like, oh, this is you're so. And, and then flowers start falling down from somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I don't know if that was a choice, but or if, or if maybe I misinterpreted that. But I really felt like, does no one care about the doctor's performance here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really great idea um, for an episode to have somebody who, I don't know, I mean, you could do, I suppose anybody could have a dream sequence or imagine something, like it kind of works for anybody, but having the idea that we know that he has a mind, but it's a mind that can be changed or, or affect, you know, he's a computer, basically, Um and he and he he himself is virtual. I those those things all they're never yeah. really addressed specifically, but they all sort of filter in to make this kind of be- a believable scenario. Because yeah, he is like literally held back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, yeah. It's like you immediately can sympathize with that because you know, like the tangible limitations that he has upon him, you know, and how yeah. everyone else could like not take that seriously. Yeah, and it works because, you know, in this case, I, I think you could only do this once. I don't think you could ever do this episode again. Um, yeah. It works because we know the doctor and we know, like you said, we know that he has been frustrated. I, it's kind of weird that this is a sixth season episode because I thought they'd kind of solved a lot of problems about his autonomy in earlier seasons. But um, it works because we have the tropes of Trek. We know his relationships to the other characters. And so we know how to make fun of the tropes of Trek and also subvert and sort of flip those relationships. But this wouldn't work like week to week. Like one, another funny scene is when they're in the ready room and Captain Janeway is blah, blah, giving some briefing about something. And you don't know if it's related to the plot or if it's just another fantasy. Um, and then slowly it's revealed like <laughs> something weird's going on. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, Taurus is trying to play footsie with him and, and seven is sending him dirty texts and things like that. Uh, <laughs> the texts were so good. That's like ahead of its time in a way. And, and the captain's like, "Oh, you gotta rub my lower back, lower my injury." I like and- that they were willing. Kind of, <laughs> you're talking about punching down, like that they were willing to show the doctor like have such. I mean, pathetic kind of fantasies, you know? <laughs> sure. I yeah, mean, relatable, yeah. you know? <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, you have to wonder, he's, because something else that they never really get into, and I think it's an interesting distinction is, as an artificial life form, what's the difference between him and, say, Data? You know, he literally is the property of Starfleet in some ways, because his original program was created by a Starfleet scientist. Yeah. And and people wonder, like, oh, can he experience, well, how come he can experience emotions and, and Data can't? Well, because he's basically the copy of a person's brain. Like, he's a program who 
is wasn't programmed specifically to feel emotions as a job, but is you know has this he's a program that has the structure of a human brain, so he can have those experiences and he can want more experiences and he can want companionship and love and to eat. Whereas Data is like a fully artificial being who has developed as a human and is constantly developing new faculties, you know, as a human. And one day emotions might be on the list of things. So, you know, the doctor is like a person, just like any other crew member who is, you know, trapped in a cage, basically. He's meant to stay in sick bay until he is needed somewhere else and then he can put his little thing on. And he has dreams and desires and they're not taken seriously because... Because the Federation is just shit when it comes to like respecting AI rights and seeing computers and and robots as people. And so, yeah, I mean, you could imagine that this is a great way to let those things come out because he's got this new little subroutine that lets him, you know, have these daydreams and think about these things. And I Mm -hmm. kind of don't like the idea that it's I was thinking about this, the structure of this as compared to Walter Mitty and how Walter Mitty is supposed to be about a guy who is underexperienced and has repressed his desire to experience things and then eventually gets to. In this, you've got an act where he is having these fantasies and these imaginations, and that's fine. Then you've got a second act where he they become harmful. And I don't like the fact that, you know, we all get to daydream. Why should his be harmful? But the third act brings it back around because now he is thrust into that real-life position to do what he's always dreamed and he kind of fudges it a little bit, but ultimately it's the sort of practice and the sort of um, the, 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 the cavalier brash way that he wants to be and sees himself that gets him out of them out of the, the, the crisis at the end. You know, yeah. It's the, the synthesis of these two things like you have to grow up, but also you have to dream and he gets to kind of do them both. Yes, it's, like, it's a good construction. That's something that I felt like I, I had that before watching this even felt like maybe Mitty was kind of missing that as a movie where it's like they they needed to show some of the, maybe uh, the negative, negative side of it other than just like, you're not doing the thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. The short story, the movie and the, and the episode all have this character who is, who's daydreaming. And you know, the, the book is because he's frustrated with his life because it's too inane, but he doesn't realize how he contributes to it. The episode has a, a being with so much potential who's not being seen as an equal member. And the movie, I don't know. <laughs> like, why is it necessary that he has these little checkouts? Like, it doesn't, there isn't a real good reason, except it's called Walter Mitty. Yeah. I, I liked his, I, the story he has there, too, with, like, the delusions becoming harmful like and then going you know it actually being the thing that makes it all work is you know it's obviously mirrored with the uh, with the alien guy in this uh. yeah and it does turn out that there isn't anything wrong with him daydreaming necessarily it's when the alien guy cuts in and like watches them uh-huh. that something about that is making his his um his memory leak you know or his, or his program fail so if that guy wasn't like spying on him he could just be Hopefully not on duty, but he could be having these dreams, and that's fine for him to. It, the, a lot of times, Voyager <laughs> poses these moral questions, and they come on the wrong side. I think of a lot of like moral issues sometimes, and so it wouldn't be surprising for me for the Doctor to learn that he just doesn't 
he's not somebody who can get to dream. And the right. episode isn't doesn't do that necessarily because we have this out of no, you were being interfered with. And I yeah. think that's nice. I feel like I feel like a lot of times like like Voyager would benefit from like if they just left it more ambiguous <laughs> instead of coming up with the answer of how to handle it because it's always like yeah, it always does seem like the wrong choice. But instead if it was like the characters believe this thing and you know, that's what they think, that'd be fine, you know? Mm-hmm. But instead, it's usually, it feels like the show being like, yeah, this was the right thing to do. <laughs> and then there's no consequence. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I also think that the structure of a TV series, especially Star Trek, works for this premise more because if he's having a fantasy or something, you know, week to week, a Borg cube could just roll up on the ship and they'd be like, oh, crap, we got to deal with this. And so that's a believable scene. But then to have it turn out to be a fantasy, like, works, I think, for the show better than <laughs> we don't think that, you know, that uh, Walter Mitty is going to jump through a window and save a dog from an exploding building. Like, you know that you're instantly in a fantasy space. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Do you think maybe if his fantasies were, like, more tied to reality, it would be better? Like, if he was... Maybe he did oh, for Walter Mitty. Yeah, like maybe if he did save a dog, but it was not so over the top. I don't know. Like kind of what you're saying about everything punching else in the, the boss. <laughs> yeah, every, right. Everything else in the movie is so just kind of low key <laughs> emotionally and low stakes that yeah, I think the fantasy should fit that because they I think they'd be more satisfying than uh, street surfing or, or whatever's going on. Yeah, which is not connected at all to. The fact that he is a former skateboarder, I guess. And yeah, here's something else. This is so dumb. There's We're back on the fucking movie again. They're in Central Park, and he's showing her kid how to do like a kickflip or something, which is kind of cool. But she can't see any of that. Like She's on the phone, and it's like, no, you're missing it. If you yeah. saw him do a kickflip, you'd think he was the perfect mate. Yeah, I thought that too. Like, oh my god, she's not... He was doing some uh, slightly more complex tricks too, and he was sick. He was like pretty good. Well, they dumped, they had a pro, pro skater double for him. Well, but, yeah, but the the but character. Why would that change her opinion? And even if it exactly, would, yeah. Even if it would, as soon as she gets in a cab with her her son, her son is like, "You should have seen these cool tricks that Walter was doing." And she's like, "Oh, my kid likes Walter. That is more important for being a partner for me than him doing sweet tricks. You know, you get the same effect." Yeah, maybe it's supposed to be like, "Oh, he thinks that's what is going to impress her." I oh, did you think that the. F- that her not seeing him was one of his, like, a dark fantasy? Like, he's, of course she wouldn't see me do these cool tricks. <sighs> no, I don't know if it was a fantasy. I think it should have then cut to um, him, like, skating in, like, a competition. Like, oh, the X like, Games. <laughs> yeah, for some reason there's a huge half pipe set up in, like, <laughs> in Central Park. And then, and Ro- then so- <laughs> Rodney Mullen comes in, or Tony Hawk even, who have worked better because yeah. he's in movies sometimes. And, it's and Walter like, just starts jamming it, and it's like, ah, and then, but she didn't see any of that. And he's like, wow, Walter, <laughs> you're the greatest skateboarder alive. <laughs> We're going to make Walter Mitty's pro skater, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ah, okay, um, okay, okay. Back to the up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the second, the, the, I still think the second act is kind of the weakest act because it, especially when they, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know why they get to see his fantasies. It kind of becomes a holodeck ep 
and it just becomes a Barkley episode, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish that they could have stayed away from that because Barkley's like, he's the original Walter Mitty, but they never really made that too explicit in TNG. And so if we're going to do that with this character, I wish they hadn't like kind of gone back to the tropes of, oh my God, he's he's looking at me naked or, or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it is kind of well-worn territory, but that's kind of... I don't know. I don't want to come off. I'm I'm like a Voyager hater, it seems like. But <laughs> Voyager, a lot of times, is like, what if we tried TNG again a little bit? Yeah, but this time we came to the wrong conclusion about this moral issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Um, but yeah, I, slightly, slightly back to an old topic, but when you're talking about it being believable, it made me think of the last time we talked about Voyager and how it it didn't feel like grounded in the reality it was the face-off one where the one guy was like talking to tom paris and he's like oh it seems like you got a pretty good life here and it's like no they're lost in space you know like right yeah Yeah. like it should be believable really for any of the characters in this that they would wish for something more right like yeah you can make an episode where tom paris is like i wish i was back home (laughs) you know or like with seven of nine like i you know anybody like fantasizing about it It works the best as the doctor but yeah yeah he's the holodeck guy so he's they find out that he's been creating like these elaborate programs and they're not even like particularly special they're just you know you'd think that he'd be maybe he's got a california cruise in one where he's in the 20th 20th century and he's on the pch or something but he's got elaborate programs where He's just on Earth, and he's just like, there's a coffee shop. He's living with Balana. She's like, you made a holographic me? Would she have bigger tits or something? It's like, no, I just I just like the idea that we could just watch movies and, you know, just go to the park and, and have a normal life. And it's like his, they're fantasies, but they're like really mundane fantasies because he just wants to be home. That would be really interesting for a show that's, you know, like about such a crazy thing that you could never imagine. And it's an inversion of... It, like you said, it's Voyager's bag. It's an inversion of a TNG trope, but instead of the goddess of empathy, like he's just making like Balanas in sweatpants or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, we gotta cut this out too. That's a good. That's a good pitch. <laughs> yeah, for when they eventually. Okay, so they're gonna do when the TNG reboot. reboot and then, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know all those lying liar sites on the internet. <laughs> the ones that make up a lot the of. Fake stories just based on what people want. Well, one of those lying fake liar sites uh, published a story that TNG producers are looking at a Janeway series. And I'm like, fuck you guys. Fuck you. You know, I don't think they'll ever do that because Hollywood hates old women. Do you know what I mean? I would love to see Kate Mulgrew back at any age as Captain Janeway. And I think the fans would, too, which is why you're writing this dumb fake article. But you guys don't give a shit. Fuck you. Yeah, you just got to get the clicks. <laughs> it's just so it's so naked the way that they yeah they're just trying to get the clicks. Yeah, maybe it could inspire if it gets enough clicks though. Alex Kurtzman. Well, yeah, I mean that's mm. pretty much how we got the Pike Show, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know we're gonna use them using us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm gonna. I'm going to send that to Alex Kurtzman a million times. and <laughs> I do think that it the, the episode resolves pretty well um, because 
ultimately, you know, they get to see his fantasies or whatever, and some of them are a little unnerving, but the captain sees that one scene where he's giving the speech after, you know, being becoming the uh, ECH, and she sees that, like, yeah, his fantasies are self-serving, but a lot of the things that he's dreaming about are, like, being more useful and serving Starfleet more and just being a better crewman. Yeah, I like that they accept him. They're like, okay, you know. Yeah. He has and some things look... that are inappropriate, but there is, you know, it's his <laughs> yeah. own private thoughts, you know. If you're if you're a boss and you can look into your employee's brain and all he's thinking is, but just how do I become a better employee? You're like, oh, boy, this is good. <laughs> well, this he's also a promotion. like, I want to fuck my boss. But... Yeah, I also he wants to fuck me, too. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I like how she looks up legal precedents for like you know dealing with like holograms and giving them positions and she's like there's no precedence it's like lady there's emhs all over the fleet now i guess you don't have access to that because a couple weeks after voyager launched you guys like you know got cut off from the the alpha quadrant but haven't they contacted the alpha quadrant once or twice yet or is that maybe just in the seventh season i can't believe there are, in the history of holography there are no legal precedents for somebody wanting to marry their holographic waifu or or anything like that well it they make it seem like i guess i don't know i don't know the show that well but it feels like the emh is such a new thing conceptually right yeah but things spread so fast like but it's like season four where he meets andy dick and he's like the second version already oh gotcha yeah so Maybe at some point they, I mean, maybe they just, anytime they've contacted Starfleet, they never got much data. I guess. Send us all your legal precedents. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just feel like it should be like the internet where it's like they could, or something where they could just sync up. But I don't know. In Star Trek, they're always like, they're downloading all our information. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. I don't know. It's not, I guess it's not instantaneous. Um, This episode introduces the hierarchy. Um who I really like, and I wish they were on more. Uh, yeah, it was fun. They're the kind of, I don't know what they are, like shellless turtles or something like that. But They're pretty I like ugly, how they, yeah. I like how they have to go like, well, this is my plan. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Let's see what the bosses think. <laughs> and the bosses go, all right, yeah, do that plan. They're like, okay, well, let's do that. Uh, I also like the fact, maybe this is kind of a dumb thing, but like, I like the fact that pretty much everybody that plays one is kind of a, a bigger guy. So it's just like, it's more representation for like non-standard body types. Yeah, I guess I I didn't even really think about that because it's they're all horrifying though. So it's like... yeah, they're all weird <laughs> under that makeup. Yeah, but they they're generally casting actors who are a little bigger, and that's good because a lot of comedians are are bigger, so they can do funny stuff. There's actually there's one of the actors. His name is Gucci. No relation. Gucci. Oh, <laughs> Gucci <yeah>. Gress. <laughs> My my long lost uh, cousin, <laughs> yeah, is a, a shellless turtle. Um, <laughs> and there's a cool parallel, I think, with the alien who is first spying on him, and then later is like, "Oh no, I, I need your help because you know, if 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 Voyager destroys us all, <laughs> then I'll really be in trouble. So we need to like fake this attack and like and stop it because uh, he's worried about his advancement and the doctor." is also wants to advance on his own path as well. Like they both want approval and to move up in their respective organizations. And I like the fact that they have to work together to that. To yeah. That end. The like, yeah, the dork, the dork saved the day basically, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was good. Like, this, we're going to be doing this. And then later on, they're going to do something different. And he's like, Oh shit. I have to tell the doctor that we're going to do something else. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I liked his character a lot. 
He was very, very charming. He's a weird looking guy, but <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it takes all kinds. Um, and then, you know, the doctor finally gets into the captain's chair at the end and it's not quite the, the relationship that, or the uh, experience that he thought it was going to be. I like how though, once he's like, all right, this plan is, has failed. I'm, I'm taking over. <laughs> it really is like one of his fantasies. And he's like, I love activate, that, the, activate the photonic cannon. And Tuvok's like, uh, beep, boop, boop. It's activated. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best part because it was like, it's not, it's like, okay, not it's it, first it was like your fantasy gets to kind of come true, but with conditions. And then it's like, he gets to like, kind of take charge, you know? So yeah, it, it yeah. totally goes against what you're like, the what you're talking about with the second act where it's like he's harming things you know where it's like now he's taking it to an extreme and it's not what they want but it's the right time for that yeah Yeah. and he knows he knows best yeah and the the hierarchy guy is not daydream i mean he's daydreaming of advancement but he's he's kind of getting sucked into the doctor's daydreams without knowing it and then later his boss is like, are you sure about, did you make a mistake? He's like, there's no mistake. And his boss walks away. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> we got to fix this. Yeah. It's uh, it's fun. It's light. You never are really all that worried about the safety of Voyager, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a perfect, like there, there always should be episodes like this that are like the fun, like more lighthearted, I guess, character studies. I love, yeah, I loved it. And Trek making fun of itself and not taking itself so seriously. Yes, punching down on itself. <laughs> punching, it's punching down. It Mike should... McMahon. Mike McMahon needs to look up what punching down means. Right. Yeah, I think they should do this more often. I they're like not doing they... like wheelchair jokes. I don't. He doesn't know what punching down means. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's it's anyway. not true punching. Down. No, um, there is a lot of technology in this episode. Um, there's. Some technology. Technology is what kills Life magazine in the film. And technology features in Trek. It makes things easy. Sometimes it makes it tough. So on every show, we randomly pick from a list of Star Trek technologies. We add what we get to the non-Trek media, and we subtract it from the Trek episode to see how each would be different. It's our technological exchange. And we have a list of 10 technologies that we choose from. Phasers, holodecks, tricorders, transporters, warp drive, replicators, communicators, shields, advanced medical technology, and androids. And if I use my randomly number-selecting device technology, I come up with number one on the list, phasers. Well, okay. If phasers existed (laughs) in the secret life of Walter Mitty, what then? I'm glad it wasn't the obvious, like, transporters or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, oh boy. There wasn't a lot of, uh, there was a lot of fantasizing that had combat, but there wasn't a lot of combat otherwise, you know? <laughs> there weren't, yeah, there weren't any weapons at all, really. Uh, <laughs> the Afghan warlords had weapons. Yeah, okay, okay. But, I mean, maybe if everyone has a phaser... Well, I guess what would the what would uh, the phaser laws be in New York City if they existed? You know, like would people at Life Magazine have phasers on them? Just like day to day carrying phasers yeah. around. Yeah, would like open carry <laughs> be a thing? Well, um, yeah, I think it would have to. 
uh, for the for this bit to work. So yes, you can <laughs> you can open carry a stun based weapon uh, anywhere. Okay, in New York City. Sure. Okay. So um, y- you could stun your boss. <laughs> <laughs> i don't yes. know yeah if he keeps throwing paper clips at your head yeah uh or you could have a fantasy about stunning your boss just right in his beard stun that beard yeah i guess he's never waking up i guess maybe you know if you were uh you could make the movie about a like a a, a phaser marksman instead of a photographer you know <laughs> <laughs> He's here to he's here to to phaser these uh, snow leopards down, uh, and then maybe the uh, the uh, WWF it will come in and uh, you know give them give them the medicine they need. Yeah, like if phasers existed in this world, that's all anyone would be talking about. No one would people really would not care about this magazine. <laughs> just, life would have been gone years ago. It would be phaser phaser, phaser magazine. Now. <laughs> yeah. Phaser magazine. They're gonna. They're, yeah. Sorry, we're shutting down Phaser magazine because uh, disruptors are what everybody wants now. Oh yeah, it's disrupting the magazine business. You could solve a lot of his problems with phasers. If uh, <laughs> his boss is assaulting him, he could phaser him. He would not be dead. He would just be unconscious. The people would find him. They go, "What, what was going on here? He's assaulting me." Um, HR will take this guy away. Uh, if he's being attacked by sharks in the water, phaser theoretically, the shark. he could phaser those sharks. No bite on the briefcase. He's just fine. Yeah, he's being confronted in a bar. Yeah, right. Yeah, you phase. Well, see, maybe he never would have made the ship because you. Uh, the, he can fly drunk. That's fine. Great, great message movie. I did but, like, uh, yeah, that it was. Maybe like... if he's phasered, <laughs> that he's out for a couple hours. No helicopter ride. I did like that there was an inspirational scene about embracing the joy of drunk driving. <laughs> That's absolutely true. This is a win <laughs> for drunk drivers everywhere. Yeah. Right. Uh, and he has to take him out, yeah, to the boat. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe it would just be all like uh, uh, phaser-based warfare. So, also, this movie is uh, pretty positive on Afghan warlords. I guess they're just uh, just protecting their uh, their homes. But sure, so yeah. all the all the warlords have phasers. Um, it's War. a phaser-based conflict in Afghanistan. Phaser the U.S. Based. military is just moving in street by street with phasers. Alternatively, what if? Uh, when he's looking for the slot, the photograph, the negative he needs, right. what, what if he finds the only phaser that exists? Oh. And so now it's about the secret phaser of Walter Mitty. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to go on this adventure. Like, now he has the confidence to go on this great adventure because he has a power <laughs> that no one else has. Of course, he stopped at the airport when they detect his phaser with the x-ray machine. But, but he would yeah. just, I mean, he would totally destroy oh, so everyone. You know? He's on the run now. <laughs> it's he like a rampage. down the TSA yeah. people. Yeah, he's on a phaser. He and Patton Oswalt steal a bunch of Cinnabons. And, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, he gets Patton Oswalt. Just drive away. A ma- he does a mass stunning. <laughs> right, yeah. He finally tracks down Sean Penn, and he's mad at him. He just phasers him. Uh, yeah, it's a revenge away. flick. Yeah, there and, we go. Uh, but uh, yeah, he just phasers Sean Penn, thinking he'll be fine. But they're on top of a mountain, and so Sean Penn freezes to death. 
Okay, there we go. Arcade, fi- Arcade Fire song plays. Movie <laughs> that song got a lot of play in for I think like a 10-year period. I think that we've proved that the movie is just so smooth. <laughs> There's just nothing can be hung on it. No, yeah, you could try to add some something to it but it every other but phasers is perfect because every other thing would just instantly solve the problem you know like a tricorder he detects the negative in his wallet uh a replicator Uh. he just creates a new (laughs) wallet with a new thing in it like every other thing would just solve the problem but phasers is just as empty as that movie is okay so what if there were no phasers in the star trek episode star trek voyager star trek Uh. voyager episode tinker tenor dr spy well i guess uh how does the what's the photon cannon? Well, ooh, so 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 sometimes when we you know we don't say specifically phasers, we're just talking about the discipline that that's from. So what if there were no uh, energy weapons at all in Star Trek? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess however the hierarchy <laughs> would be coming at them. Because yeah, because their their whole thing is he's going to give them the frequency of their phasers, so ostensibly they can adjust their shields to block that frequency oh yeah that was that was the thing is he's feeding him that info. that's the whole plan yeah yeah i guess you know that that's always a, a weird one where it's like we might have even had phasers in voyager before where it's like you just think about the whole premise of like well how would how would their life being stuck out in the gamma quadrant totally be changed if energy weapons didn't exist you know it doesn't ever seem to matter because they're supposed to have what like 46 torpedoes total like hundreds and and yeah so i guess i would say maybe they would never make it to this point (laughs) if they didn't have phasers but they do make it to this point and they have to wonder like can we actually get in a fight here because we've got you know three torpedoes Hmm. left total yeah yeah again i guess it's hurt by the fact that the thing we're discussing is not thinking about that <laughs> as much as we are. So <sighs> the hierarchy, we never, we get tantalizing glimpses. We never really get into them. And I wonder why they're basically just scavengers. You know, they're just rolling ships for fuel basically. And it seems like they're, I could imagine a, a large amount of space being like hierarchy space, you know, like they've got an organization. Um, they've got ships that are out there doing jobs, but why are they just, ripping people off for dilithium mm, i don't know need more info i guess yeah yeah because yeah maybe if they didn't have you know powerful arrays of phasers they would have to rethink how it is that they're gonna maybe they would try to to trick people or or, or uh, confidence game them into giving their stuff away i was like a good con artist in star trek yeah yeah i go to like the time traveling historian guy was the first or, thing yeah, or the um, people who pretend to be um, the the Voyager in the Delta Quadrant. Wait, which one's this? There's, I can't remember the name of the episode, but there is a group of people who hear about Voyager, and so they get, like, there's oh. a female one that gets a wig, and there's a guy that happens to be black, and so he puts on ears, and they tell people, like, we are from the USS Voyager, from the Federation. That's and they good, make, like, yeah. They make swindly deals with people based on Voyager's rep- reputation. There's a... Uh... Thomas Riker. <laughs> Thomas Riker. <laughs> just another good imposter there. Uh, yeah. Just thinking of some good imposters. The outrageous Okana. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Definitely at the top. Yeah. <laughs> when are we going to get to that guy? 
phasers. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think just have to run into each other, I guess. Maybe ships would just bang into oh, each other. Oh, like, it would uh, be like battle bots. Battle bots, yeah. Yeah, or, they'd have uh, like the thing where some of the battle bots would have like the platforms that you'd want to get under the other and like flip them. <laughs> you, know, so. you gotta flip flip voyager or it'd be like mad max it would be all um running into each other and like grappling hook based combat you gotta hook onto somebody and then you smash into them that's gotta there's gotta be like um like space sumo <laughs> concepts you know what i mean <laughs> like every time they make something like mobile suit gundam or whatever it's like they're out they're sword fighting they're shooting lasers but i think they should Someone should make a space mech show where it's just about slamming into each other. We got real close to that. We got really close to anime in uh, the end of Discovery Season 2. Like, suddenly, Michael Burnham has, like, a mech suit, and she's, like, flying through time oh, and stuff. And like, yeah, yeah, I forgot what it did, but it was some outrageous concept. So, um, I don't know. I mean, Trex is going to go a lot of places in their expansion in the next few years, but maybe Giant Robot Show might not be the way to go. Although, if the USS Transformatron shows up on Lower Decks, I'll be applauding it. They could just be like, yeah, on Lower Decks, that could work. Or they're like, we're making a Star Trek show that takes place 1,000 years in the future. (laughs) We're all data android people, yeah. Yeah, we're just all giant robots in space. And we eat planets and just, like, fist fight. <laughs> to to go boldly to a new restaurant where they serve planets, yeah. I don't know right, how we well, got here. <laughs> we kind of fell apart on that one, but, uh, yeah, so did the... So the real the answer is, I don't know, you know? Like, I, yeah, don't I, don't, know. I don't really know. It would be different, let's say. <laughs> well, uh, should we tell people what's coming up on our next episode of Backtracking? Yeah, um, this one's a big one, in my opinion. Um, yeah. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. So it's mm. our first foray into the, the Kelvin timeline. And for some reason, I don't know why. I mean, I don't want to spoil... Uh, no spoilers, but we're going to talk about how it relates to uh, the Wrath of Khan. Yes, we can't go to the Cineplex in real life, so we're going to go there on the show. Double feature. Double feature of Star Trek films next time on the show. Well, that is it for this week's Backtracking. Thanks for listening, and if you like the show, A, tell a friend, B, follow us at Backtracking on Twitter, and C, tell us what you think that we should look at on future episodes of the show. Gooey, tell the people where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at GooeyFame. And uh, I post all the other shows I do and stuff there. So go check me out there. Check that out. I'm at at K-A-1-I-B-A-N on Twitter. And I guess I would direct you to E-I-S-T-P-O-D on Twitter as well if you want to hear more Star Trek shows for my other podcast, Enterprising Individuals. And that is it for us for this week. We'll see you soon. And until we do, keep on trekking. <laughs>